You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Sainsbury's, Whitbread, Tesco's, Greg's, Taylor Wimpy, and our US company of the week is Nike. Sam, shall I kick us off with Sainsbury's? Yes, we do like a supermarket, although you have requested off air that we stop covering them, haven't you? Uh, yeah, it, it's, we'll, we'll come on to the results. They're, they're basically positive. And as we did our year in review last week, I sadly sold Tesco's and it's probably been the best year Tesco's has had in about a decade. But that's, that's just my luck and trying to time the market. Anyway, Sainsbury's had their Q3 trading statement out with third quarter like-for-like sales excluding fuel, rising 7.4%. This was led by grocery sales, which rose by 9.3% in 18 weeks to the 6th of January. Within that, Christmas sales were up 8.6%, and growth was held higher by volumes as inflation slowed. The net prices initiative also helped boost the festive sales. Total general merchandise sales, including Argos, fell by 0.6%, whilst clothing dropped by 1.7%. And the group said that the areas of the market that are seeing the heaviest discounting are both of those. The group still expects four-year underlying profit before tax to be between £670 million and £700 million, and grocery is expected to offset the weakness in those other two areas. And the shares were down around 4.5% following the results. In terms of valuation, Sainsbury's has a market cap of £6.8 billion and trades at 14 times forward earnings, compared with a 10-year average of 11.8, and it has a dividend of 3%. I thought these results were overall very positive. Like-like sales, excluding fuel, rising by 7.4% is really, really good. And also, I think the taste of the difference that the, the premium range with a greater margin that was performing well too. So they're not losing at the lower end of the market. They're continuing to reinvest in keeping prices competitive. I know we've talked a lot about this in the past and the strategy sort of post uh, 2007-2008 where the big four supermarkets tried to maintain very juicy margins and then that just let uh, or led to market share going towards the German discounters and Obviously, they're not making the same mistake twice. I think also positive is that the cost saving program is continuing and it's targeting £1.3 billion saving by year three and debt is continuing to fall. So I think the turnaround overall is going pretty well at Sainsbury's. I know we covered, when we covered it a couple of years ago, a little bit more uncertain about it. Valuation wise, for supermarkets in the UK, it is on the more pricey side, but I guess that is reflecting some of this, this positivity coming through and that the turnaround is, is well underway. Not one for me right now, but I think Sainsbury's is doing well. Sam, what are your thoughts on this trading statement? I think it's pretty good. I think the slight decline in Argos is not massively surprising, but on the grocery side, it's very good. I think the Christmas sales are very good. I surprise the market. The shares fell 4.5%, but then I looked at the share price and I think we first started covering this quite early on in the show. So we've probably been covering it for about three years now. 
I remember when we started covering it, the price to earnings was it was something like eight. It was really cheap. And I think the view was, well, it was quite cheap for a reason. And the turnaround seems to have gone quite well. But at the forward PE of 14, it, it is pricier now. And the share price is up sort of 50% as well or something like that, maybe over 50% since we first started covering it. You know, it was yielding about six, I think over 6% at one point, at least. It was at least in the strong fives. And that's, you know, down to a prospective yield of 4.3. I think they've done a decent job with it. I think the strategy, pretty similar to Tesco, the strategy has been the right one, as we've discussed multiple times with the cost of living crisis. But it's getting to a point now where it, it does, I think it looks quite expensive for what it is, especially mm. when you can have Tesco's. I think Tesco's is actually cheaper at the minute. And I, it I, is. It and is. And I think Tesco's is the better business. So, yeah, a decent set of results. We've had a decent few years, but I think that that turnaround, like you say, is well underway and that is reflected in the share price compared to when we started covering it. So I do, I'm I'm not sure I'd, I'd buy it at the current, well, I wouldn't buy it at the current prices. And if I were to buy a supermarket, I, I don't think it's the best one and it's not even the cheapest, but management are doing a decent job with it, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so another turnaround then, Whitbread. Yes, so Whitbread, I think it's fair to say Whitbread, I don't think it's a stock either of us would ever want to buy, but it is a stock that's grown on us, especially as we've seen the recovery. So as you can imagine, with the hotel trade, had a very, very poor COVID period. Wasn't clear with working from home and stuff, how much of the business travel would come back. And last time we covered it, they were absolutely bombing away. So they've come out with a Q3 trading statement they said that for Premier in UK, total accommodation sales were up 11%, with strong demand in both London and the regions. Total revenue per average room was up 9% and up 39% compared to the 2020 figures, which was the last year pre-COVID, with high occupancy and strong pricing. They've had continued outperformance versus the mid-scale and economy sector, with increased revenue per average room premium of £6.06 .06 compared to £4.48 a year ago. Food and beverage continued to perform well, with sales up 6%. In Premier in Germany, total accommodation sales were up 47%, led by the continued expansion of the estate. And the total estate revenue per average room was 60 euros. And for the more established hotels was 66 euros, in line with the wider market. The £300 million share buyback is on track, with 6.8 million shares purchased so far for consideration of 226 million. And that is on a market cap of 6.83 billion in terms of the like for like sales growth accommodations up nine percent in the uk for the quarter 14 percent for germany and for the whole three quarters combined it's up 12 percent in the uk and 25 percent for germany food and beverage for the quarter of q3 is up six percent in the uk and 18 percent for germany and for the three quarters combined eight percent in the uk and 25 percent for germany he said for the current quarter and 2024 financial year guidance, they've said strong trading has continued into Q4 with UK accommodation sales 12% ahead of 2023 with revenue per average room up 10% versus 2023 and 39% ahead of 2020. In Germany, total accommodation sales were 61% ahead of 2023 financial year and we remain comfortable with our financial year guidance for pre-tax loss between 30 and 40 million. The 2025 guidance and outlook, they said we expect net UK cost inflation between 3 and 4% on our 1.7 billion to 1.8 billion cost base. 
including operational efficiencies of between 40 and 50 million. And they said, with a positive forward book position in the UK, a favourable supply environment, a clear commercial plan and cost efficiencies, we remain confident in the 2025 financial year outlook. In Germany, we remain on track to break even on a run rate basis during calendar year 2024. So in terms of the valuation, with bread trade, a forward price of book of 1.6, and that compares to a 10-year average of 2.2. And the price to earnings is currently 22. And it has a prospective yield of 2.8% compared to a 10-year average of 2%. I think, as I mentioned earlier, Whitbread is a stock that's grown on us the more we've covered it. I think management are doing a very good job. I think the Germany sales seem quite encouraging. It does seem like now is a decent chance they can crack that market. But 22 times earnings, I think it's, you know, it's quite pricey. And I think, you know, in COVID price didn't drop as much as we would have expected and it's it's always been a quite a pricey stock but i think recently i've started to understand why it's starting to, why it is trading at those high prices because of the figures it's putting up but i think with the results it's putting up the opportunity in germany i think 22 is expensive but if they do crack the germany market and with the figures they've put up over the last few years it's hard to argue with it but it is dependent on germany because in the uk i think they are Although they're performing operationally very well, I think they are very saturated. So I think this is another set of very good results, but it's not a company I'd ever consider just because of the industry, but I think management are doing a very, very good job with this and have been for a while now. John, what about you? Yeah, similar thoughts to you, Sam. I did like it, and I've said it many times before, when it had the uh, a bit more when it had the cost of business, which obviously was sold off and Coca-Cola bought that. I've been impressed, though, as we've seen how they have continued to grow and the fact that average revenues per room is now 40% above pre-pandemic levels. That's really, really impressive. And also the expansion in Germany. I appreciate it's pretty, well, highly priced at the moment with price earnings above 20. But I guess that's a sign that the market does believe it is going to continue to crack Germany and then We'll see, see where it goes from there, but it's certainly putting up impressive impressive figures and can't really fault it. Probably wouldn't buy shares myself, but it's a great one to follow. I think it's hard as well to think of a comparative stock that was operationally battered so much by COVID that's mm. had this level of like a comeback. So like you've obviously the cruise lines are just, you know, we've done a couple oh. of them just in a dire state. The airlines, they're, they're pretty much back to the pre-COVID like, flight occupancy, but mm. they're nowhere near 40% above it. And oh, it's, no. It's, it is really quite remarkable, actually, because it was in the same boat as a lot of these other companies, and you're looking at it and saying, oh, you know, is is, is it ever going to get back to that occupancy again? And it's, it's done really, really... The only comparative I can think of, and it's not a very good one, is, you know, the oil companies, but yeah. they've been massively helped by the price of oil. Whitbread doesn't have that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I mean, it's interesting because it's still trading at below pre-pad or, you know, 2019 levels. Is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it so, is, yes. In five years, it's down seven, but it's down 14%. But So from that from that point of view, you might, you might say there's some value in it if you thought there was uh, pre-pandemic, but... Yeah, which yeah. We, we obviously, I think if you go back and listen to our older episodes, I don't think we did think there was value in it. <laughs> I remember thinking it was quite expensive at yeah. COVID lows. But, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, very operationally, it's done very, very well. Can't really fault it. Yeah. Right, should we move on to another business that's doing well? 
Absolutely. So this this is a bit sore for me because I did sell it um, earlier last year, but it's Tesco's. Uh, they had a Q3 trading statement out as well. Tesco's retail sales were up 6.4% in the 19 weeks to the 6th of January. They enjoyed their best ever Christmas with growth being helped by the price cuts and increased market share over the period, both in the UK and European divisions. Sales was, Sales were up. And also they were up in Booker, which is a wholesaler, and that's despite a decline in their tobacco sales. Trading, in terms of the expected and full-year guidance, has now been upgraded, and retail-adjusted operating profit is expected to be around the $2.75 billion, above the previous guidance of between $2.6 and $2.7 billion. And the shares actually were fairly flat after this statement came out. In terms of the valuation, the group has a market cap of £21 billion and trades at 11.7 times forward earnings compared with a 10-year average of 12.4 and it yields a prospective 4.3%. I thought these results were pretty good, obviously uplifting the previous guidance and they had about £2 billion in free cash flow from the retail and obviously they can invest that further in prices but also in paying out what's a pretty safe dividend now. The finest ranges, just like with Sainsbury's, did well and it's also positive to see Booker performing strongly. That was something that was hit badly in the pandemic. I'd felt when I sold it that perhaps we had kind of reached saturation point. Obviously, the turnaround had gone well. Over, well, um, that's a quite a long turnaround. It must have been over at least five years. So as a, a, a long-suffering shareholder, I, I felt that we'd really seen that. But obviously, didn't time the market very well. It's up about, I think, 20% or so since I sold. And I just didn't have a particular stock in mind. So it had sort of reinvested in the world index. But I think operationally, it's doing fantastically well. It's very well run now. All of the crap that it had acquired over the years is gone. That's all been sold off. And it's a pretty streamlined, efficient operator. And it's got that wholesaler in it, which I think is, is very nice too. So yeah, I think you could do a lot worse than Tesco's. Although... Like I felt before, it's difficult to see where you know significant further growth comes from. But then again, you could have it in the portfolio as more of a you know a juicy dividend stock. But do you think you know if we go back to what we were saying last week when you were talking about how much more attractive the interest rates are at the minute? You know, you can get five percent tax free well, on yeah. bills. Why why would you buy a you know a four percent paying dividend if you don't think there's capital growth? Yeah, you've got to pay tax on the dividend potentially as well. Absolutely, Sam. And it's probably part of the reason I don't own Tesco's now. I appreciate when I did sell it, and when I generally do sell my stocks, I try and invest them in you know other equities rather than you know taking it out of the market and going into gilts. However, it's it's a very it's a very good point. And with these, I suppose, with some of these companies where you don't think there's a huge growth and you could get for example Unilever be a bit more expensive but it would have probably similar dividend and I would argue long term you'd be expecting much greater growth whereas Tesco's yeah we're not in that zero rate environment anymore so is it is it attractive from that point of view I suppose yeah fair point these are a very good set of results I know you followed it for for years because of the length of time you owned it but since we started covering it on the show it was you know a lot of its scandals well, all of its gambles really were behind it. And 
it is a company that's for the whole time we've covered it, it's done very well. Mm. Probably the best supermarket. I just think it's it's a bit cleaner than Sainsbury's because you don't have mm. Argos. Obviously, Morrison's is no longer listed. Yeah, Asda's privately held, but it's it's just a bit cleaner. Um, I know it's got Booker, but I think Booker's pretty similar. I'm happy with that acquisition. I think it's a smart acquisition. Yeah. Whereas I don't feel the same way about Sainsbury's and Argos. So I think the bro- growth prospects from both are probably pretty similar. So if I was going to get one, I'd probably just get the cheapest, which is Tesco. And I, mm-hmm. I actually think because I prefer Tesco as a business anyway, Sainsbury's would have to be significantly cheaper for me to consider getting it. But no, yeah. good set of results. But I do I do agree. It's I'm not really sure where the growth is other than kind of raising prices with inflation every year. And so yeah, so in, in the, yeah. that higher interest rate environment, it is just less attractive. And of course, they did try going for growth, you know, breaking America and I suppose Europe more widely, Thailand, and okay, maybe Europe's done all right, but overall, it, it was a, a failed venture, particularly the states that they lost a lot of money doing that. Mm. Actually, move on to another business that is going for growth at the minute. Yes, Greg's. So Greg's have come out with a Q4 trading update, and they've said that for the 2023 financial year total sales are up 19.6% to 1.8 billion and that's up from 1.5 billion a year ago company managed shop like for light sales are up 13.7% for the year and 9% for the fourth quarter with continued growth in transaction numbers and reduced contribution from price inflation strong light flight performance reflects popularity of the Greg's brand as we deliver as we further develop our range and make Greg's more accessible through digital channels and extended trading hours the delivery service is rolled out to 710 shops with Uber Eats alongside the existing service offered with Just Eat a record 220 new shops open in the year with 37 closures and 42 relocations resulting in a net new 145 shop openings and 2473 shops trading as at 30 December 2023 with progress in development of supply chain capacity, supporting growth plans. Year-end net cash of $195 million, that's pretty flat compared to $192 million a year ago. Inflationary pressures are reducing, and they anticipate full-year outcome in line with previous expectations. There are a couple of bits in the CEO Roizen Curry's statement, so I'll just read parts, not the whole thing, but she said, seasonal lines, including our iconic festive bake, chocolate orange muffin, and Christmas lunch baguette, were in high demand in the fourth quarter featuring alongside our shop-baked sweet mince pies and festive hot drinks. Pizza continues to perform strongly during the day and into the evening, with pizza boxes and pizza bundle deals continuing to contribute to our growth. We said that of the 2,473 shops, they've got 1,970 company-managed shops and 503 franchised units. We've said that Greg's ended 2023 with cash of $195 million, which will support our plans to invest further in growing both our shop estate and supply chain capacity in the years ahead. The pipeline of new shop opportunities remains strong. We expect to open between 140 and 160 net new shops in 2024. Given the strong trading in the final quarter, the board anticipates reporting full-year outcome for 2023 financial year in line with previous expectations. In terms of valuation, the business trades at a forward P of 22.7, and that compares to a 10-year average of 18.3. The prospective yield is 2.8%, and that compares to a 10-year average of 26 I mean, this is a very, very good trading update. They've had a very, very good year. I think operationally they're doing a very, very good job. A few years ago, I was a bit sceptical about the target of 3,000 stores. I, th- I think they're going to hit it. I mean, if you go at 200 a year and you're at 2,500, obviously, you know, they're only two, two, 
two, three years away from hitting that target. However, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff operation they've been doing, but it's not the kind of thing you can do every year. So for example, rolling out delivery to 710 shops with Uber Eats, yes, that means there's still quite a lot that aren't on there because they've got two and a half thousand. But once they're all on there, that's a lever you can only pull once. Extending the trading hours, that's a lever you can only pull once. And I just think we covered it a few years ago and it was, I think it was actually a slightly cheaper valuation. The earnings were lower and they were maybe at 2,000 stores at the time. And they were saying, well, we think we can get to 3,000. And I think if we'd bought into it then, you can see where the growth comes from. Whereas now it's at 23 times forward earnings and it's already at 2,500. A lot of these levers they're pulling are not repeatable. They cannot grow revenue 19% a year by adding more stores on Uber Eats and extending the trading hours because eventually you just get to a point where you've maximized, where you know every store is on Uber Eats and then you're open 24-7. So really it's going to come probably from increasing the number of stores. I know they're much more saturated in the North, but I've not seen anything from them yet about when they hit 3,000 stores, what's next? And I just think... It's a good company. They're, they're performing very well. They're probably going to hit the 3,000 store target, but I think really they need to hit that just to justify the current share price. So if you're buying it now and you want a market beat in return, I think you do ask you have to ask yourself what's next because a lot of the you know, targets that they've set, they, they're looking like they're going to hit, but then I'm not sure where that next sort of phase of growth comes from. But a, a very good set of results though. John, what are your thoughts? Similarly, can't knock the results and they have kept putting them up, but you are beginning to wonder you know, what next. And I think for that reason and for the valuation, I wouldn't be buying shares. I, I kind of like you, I like the company a lot. <laughs> and so I know I probably wish I'd bought a few years ago, but now I definitely would be too hesitant. It's a bit of a lineup this week of companies that we criticised in the COVID period yeah. and have then gone on to completely prove us wrong. I know, I know. So Taylor Wimpy, so one of the biggest house builders in the UK, they had their trading statement out with full year average weekly private sales falling from 0.68 to 0.62 as a result of what they described as difficult market conditions. The group did complete 10,848 new homes over 2023, down from 14,154 in the prior year. Average private selling prices in the UK rose by 5.1% to £370,000. Group's order book slipped by 8.7% to £1.8 billion, and the group's net cash position fell from 864 to £678 million. Full year operating profit is expected to be at the top end of the group's range, which is between 440 and 470 million pounds. Heading into the new year, the market remains uncertain, but Taylor Wimpy expects recent mortgage rate reductions to improve affordability for buyers and build cost inflation is set to run at about 4% in the first half. The shares were broadly flat um, on this statement. In terms of in terms of valuation, Taylor Wimpy has a market cap of just over five billion pounds and trades at one point one seven times forward price to book, compared with a ten year average of one point five one, and it has prospective dividend yield of six point two percent. I suppose on the surface, results look disappointing, 
However, I think what we have seen with Taylor Wimpy and a lot of the other big house builders is as the market thinks that rates have peaked and you're seeing mortgage rates accordingly beginning to fall and obviously inflation coming down and build costs, particularly in relation to the house builders. And then that ongoing structural imbalance with home ownership in the UK and the aspiration of Brits to own their own home all does stand Taylor Wimpy in good stead. In the back of your mind, you have, well, there might be an election coming up. Obviously, both uh, the, the two major parties in the UK are committed to house building. And whether one even, you know, throws in any sweeteners, if there's any sort of equivalent to help to buy or, you know, reigniting that, that could really sort of turbocharge things again for the house builders, which they probably don't need. But that's, you know, potentially on the table as well. And they're very cheap valuations. Taylor Wimpy's also paying a pretty decent dividend. Of course, nothing's guaranteed. I think theirs is linked to asset value rather than earnings specifically. Obviously, much healthier than they used to be post the last crash, sort of 2008 crash, and net cash of 600, what was it, £678 million is pretty healthy. They've got their decent uh, land bank. And yeah, I think there's a lot of positive things to be said about the house builders. And I don't think they're expensive. And in the meantime, whilst there is a lot of the uncertainty, you are kind of rewarded with it. What is quite a juicy dividend, um, certainly one, you know, compared with Tesco's. So, yeah, I I like Taylor Wimpy. I have owned it in the past, currently owned Redro. I'm quite happy to continue doing so. Yeah, I, I don't really have an issue with these earnings. It's kind of what we expected given where the market's gone. I think there are signs that are encouraging, but we, we talked about it a bit last week, so it's not been released yet because it's in the second half. But I know there's this people are sort of hoping that the market's sort of hit the low now, but you know, with, with an average private selling price in the UK of 370000 for the year, I know they can keep making mortgages cheaper, they can keep lending people more money, but at, at some point it does just get... <laughs> do you know what I mean? At some point, yeah, yeah. so 370... I mean, the average mean salary in the UK in 2023, I've just checked, was about like 31000 yeah. So that's over 10 times... The average house price sale is over 10 times the average salary. I think they've they've grown to a level where I think it's fair to say, like for most people, you can only really buy a house if you're buying it with a partner. Um, mm. And then it, then it maybe drops to like five or six times your combined salaries, but it's not ideal. And I'm not saying I would expect it to come all the way back down to like, you know, where it was in maybe like the 70s or 80s, where it's like three times one person's salary. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I would have expected more of a drop. And I know you made the argument last week, well, yeah, but, you know, if, if they're down a few percent and then, although it isn't here, it's saying the average price has actually rose in the year. But if inflation's been 10 percent the last couple of years there has actually been a yeah. real drop but i'm still surprised it hasn't fallen further i think that probably does just speak to you know just how chronic the supply problem is in the mm. uk and that we just aren't building enough houses because you know i i think it probably is you know you, you've got this disconnect if you look at the average prices because part of the reason it's so high is because there's just not enough of them. Um, and it is kind of a supply and demand problem. But I think, yeah, I think the house builders are well-placed going forward, whichever government does come in, because yeah. they are going to want to build more homes and they are they are going to need 
house builders for that. <laughs> yeah. So I think wouldn't like to try and predict it in the short or medium term, but I think if you're buying the house builders with a long term view, I, I think you know, I think they are pretty pretty well, you know, structured and stuff. They're not really carrying anywhere near as much risk as they were in 2008. If they're over the worst and you get it at the current price with a decent dividend, I, th- I think you could do pretty well on it if you've got a long-term view. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing is just the obsession in the UK of owning your own home. I mean, I, th- I think that's really, really important there too. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's not even like, yeah, there is just a huge amount. I don't want to say pressure. But like, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, it's like if you're in A-levels, there's, there's probably like an expectation that you'll go to university now. Yeah. Irrespective of what the grades are or what grades you get, because most people do. But it's it's a similar kind of thing. It's just sort of people just assume you will buy a house at some point. And, um, and sacrifice a huge amount to do so just so you can say that you own that house. Yeah, because there must, there must be some people... I know we've got like a generation, you know, well, multiple generations of people who've done very, very well from the housing market. But you do get to a point where there must be some people that have bought how will be buying houses at prices where actually, if you look at the amount of pain and interest and stuff, it actually it would have been cheaper for them to rent. But yeah, um, well, obviously it would be cheaper. But in terms of it, you know, if you could put the difference, yeah, in say index, <laughs> and I know most people don't think like that, but it's, <laughs> yeah. in terms of if you were to view it as a pure investment, it's not. Because of how how pricey it is now, it's probably not going to do very well. But that's, people yeah, well, still want to yeah, that, that's right, that's right. But I think people do look back and see how it's done in the past, and then it, it it sort of extrapolates what they think will happen from that. Yeah, I'm never I'm, well. I never do very well predicting. <laughs> in my, I don't think I've ever got it right on anything. But anyway, should we move on to our American company? Yes. So well. It's a company that I think we both like and one of the highest quality companies in the world. But that is always reflected in the price. But how have Nike been doing, Sam? I don't think they've been doing that well, actually. So the last couple of quarters have had a bit of a wobble. So these, they have come out with their Q2 results. And these results did actually come out just before Christmas, but we didn't cover them that week. And there's not really many interesting companies reporting this week in the US. So um, I thought I'd just go back and cover these because it is a company we do like to keep an eye on. So... Nike brand digital sales increased 4% on a reported basis and 1% on a currency neutral basis. And that is, I think, one of the main things that we do look at, that direct consumer revenue. So that's a bit disappointing. Revenues overall were up 1% to $13.4 billion. However, they were down 1% on a currency neutral basis. Revenues for the Nike brand were $12.9 billion. And all these figures are in dollars, up 1% compared to the prior year and flat on a currency neutral basis. As currency neutral growth in Asia Pacific and Latin America and greater China was offset by declines in North America and Europe, Middle East and Africa. Revenues for Converse were 519 million, down 11% compared to prior years. Gross margin increased by 170 basis points to 44.6%, primarily driven by strategic pricing actions and lower ocean freight rates partially offset by unfavorable changes in net foreign currency exchange rates and higher product input costs. Selling and admin expenses were at 1% to 4.1 billion. Demand creation expense was 1.1 billion at 1%, reflecting an increase in marketing expense. Operating overhead expense was 3 billion, flat compared to the prior year, as increases in Nike direct variable costs were offset by lower technology spend and wage-related expenses. The effective tax rate was down from 193 to 
And I think that's mainly what's fed through into the net income, which is 1.6 billion and is up 19%. And diluted earnings per share were up 21%. There were share repurchases of 1.2 billion. However, that is on a market cap of 160 billion. And that's part of the company's four year, $18 billion program approved by the board of directors in June 2022. As of 13 November 2023, a total of 65.9 million of shares have been repurchased for a total of 7.1 billion. So they've also said that the company is identifying opportunities to deliver up to 2 billion in cumulative cost savings over the next three years. Areas of potential savings include simplifying our product assortment, increasing automation and use of technology, streamlining our organization and leveraging our scale to drive greater efficiency. That does sound like a lot of sort of the Mm. corporate cliches, greater efficiency, streamlining, automate. Like they've not really told us anything about what they're going to be doing there. Yeah. As part of this commitment, the company is taking steps to streamline the organization, which is expected to result in pre-tax restructuring charges of approximately 400 million to 450 million. It will largely be recognized in the third quarter of the 2024 fiscal year, primarily associated with employees. Having, ah, so that's, that's what they're doing. They're just sacking people. In terms of the share price, the company has a market cap of 160 billion, uh, trades at a PE of 31, and has a forward dividend yield of 1.4%. The share price is down probably about 40% in the last year. However, it is still very expensive. I think it's maybe dropped from like, you know, a PE of 40 to 30 or something like that. It's still very, very expensive. I think these are, again, a disappointing set of results. I think that net profit increase is flattering them because there were a lot of 1% in there, in those figures. So it is, you know, well below inflation. And I think that's, you know, yeah, the, the tax rate, the effective tax rate dropping has bailed them out a bit. I know the gross margins up as well, which has helped, but I just think with the, you know, I'm not, I'm not against cost cutting. I think it's good to have a lean business, but... They've, they've historically put up very, very good revenue figures for a very long time. We were very optimistic about the direct consumer. And when they're now talking about cost cutting instead, and in a way that's not particularly mm-hmm. clear or concise, it, it just seems like there wasn't anything in there where if I was a shareholder, I'd be reading that and being particularly inspired that management have a plan to turn it around. And I think when you're holding a stock that's valued at 31 times earnings and it's growing 1% a year, you do need a plan to turn it around because if it can't, at some point that share price will start falling pretty fast or it's just going to be stagnant for ages. But I, I know it's a really, really high quality business. It's a business I'd love to own at the right price because I just think the brand is just so, so mm. good. But I don't know if it's a business I've ever owned because I just don't think I'll ever get it at the price I want. But at 31 times earnings, I would expect figures are a lot, lot better than that. John, what are your thoughts? Similarly, really, I think... Like you say, we were both very optimistic about the direct consumer and that that would sort of continue to increase rapidly. But that's really sort of tailed off. And that's a concern. I'm not entirely sure why that has been the case, but that, that's a concern. And yeah, the revenue, very anemic growth. And it's such a high price at 32 times earnings. It's, it's certainly not value, but... For these sort of numbers, now we've seen them a couple of times. It is concerning. So I wouldn't be comfortable holding Nike at that price now. And certainly as it was priced before, I mean, that was huge. But I wouldn't bet against it. It's a really, really high quality company. Fantastic brand and brands within it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how things go, really. And if there is a buying opportunity, possibly take it. 
Yeah, and it could it could just be a wobble, mm. but you know this is the second quarter of it, and like I say, there's nothing in there that I find particularly inspiring. Whereas if you know if you compare that to the supermarkets, you know they were putting up figures in the cost of living crisis that weren't as good as maybe they could have been. But we were sat there saying, well, they've explained the strategy, we understand it, we agree with it, and they've just got to ride this out. Whereas with Nike, I just kind of feel like I don't really know what the strategy is. Now I, I think there's a massive opportunity in the direct consumer that is not currently putting up the figures. And even if the rest of the business is performing poorly, I would expect that part of the business to do well. Because even if they're just keeping, you know, even if they're not growing sales, they, I feel like they should be increasing a higher proportion onto the direct consumer, which they're not really doing. So yeah, disappointing. Of the six businesses that we've covered this week, then Sainsbury's, Whitbread, Tesco, Greg's, Taylor Wimpy and Nike. Well, which one do you like the most and which do you like okay. the least? As a company, given what I've just said, I do think Nike, you know, highest quality, but it's it's been disappointing recently. And irrespective of price, that's the one I'd like to own. But if I were with my own money today going out and buying one, hmm, I'd probably go for Taylor Wimpy. I think it's sort of where we are in the cycle. And I whilst the, the recent numbers weren't that encouraging, I think the momentum with everything that's going on, so in a macroeconomic sense, is probably going to benefit it. Which do you like the least? It's a difficult one. I think they're all good companies. Between Sainsbury's and Whitbread, but as Whitbread, how Whitbread have been doing, it's difficult to say that I like it the least. Maybe Sainsbury's? Okay. I think it's a tricky. They're, they, they, I think that all of these companies this week, with the exception of Nike, having some disappointing results, they're all doing pr- pretty well. Yeah, they are. But one thing I find difficult is although they're doing pretty well, it's a lot of companies that, for various reasons, I wouldn't want to own. Wow. So it's still a tough decision. You know, for Greg, yeah. like, you know, you, what is the strategy in the future? Tesco, where's the growth? And you know. You can you can get better from a bank now with less risk. Yeah. Whitbread don't like the industry. Sainsbury's, where's the growth? And also, I don't like Argos. Nike figures are disappointing and it's too expensive. And Taylor Wimpy is just not a market I understand. But I, obviously, I think long term, mm. I do like it. I was actually going to say Greg's, but I think having just gone through that little <laughs> rant, I think I've actually sort of persuaded myself Taylor Wimpy. Least yeah. favorite would be Sainsbury's comfortably. I just I really. I just I think it's quite expensive for what it is, and I I don't like I pref- I prefer a cleaner business like Tesco. Fair enough. I should mention as well, just before we finish, I think we're not we're we're still deliberating whether to go or not. But a few of the uh, hashtag lads that we went to the Fundsmith meeting last year are looking to go to Pershing Square Holdings annual meeting in on the eighth of February. So. There's a guy who's been on the podcast for an interview called at Joe Value on Twitter or X as it's now known, but he's doing he's arranging a meetup before where we, we do, well we might be there we might not but you just go out for a few drinks on the eighth of February then you go to the Pershing Square annual meeting 
possibly see Bill Ackerman. I don't know if he actually presents that. I've never really <laughs> followed Push. I know he runs it. I don't know whether he'll be there in the flesh. If he would, that would be quite cool to see Bill Ackerman. And, you know, as it was seeing Terry Smith last year. But I would have to check that point. But we may be going, but if not, it is a, it's a pretty good group of lads. So if, if anyone is interested, just get in touch and we'll send you the details. You would need to buy a share of Pershing Square Holdings. At Fundsmith last year, they weren't that strict on it. I don't think they actually did any kind of checks, although no, we did buy a no. share each beforehand. <laughs> but I think Pershing Square, they are actually as part of the registration. They're asking for like proof of ownership. So you need like a screenshot of an account with it in or something. So they do seem a little bit stricter. But yeah, if anyone's interested, just uh, either get in touch with at Joe Value or just get in touch with us and we'll send you the details. Well, on that note, thank you very much for listening and see you again next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.